sending that out uh, probably tomorrow. Uh, we'd love to have you come and hear about the state of the church. Uh, Linda has tithe reports, so you can see her to find out how much you gave over the last year. See Isaac about the True Life Conference. Did I get that? Every time I get that mixed up. See Isaac about a fantastic conference that is coming up. You'll know it, notice in the bulletin insert the incredible missionary offering. Praise God for that. Moms and dads of little kids, two announcements. One is there is no choir practice today. So we'll have to just go over and eat with us. And I have some booklets that Miss Gail wanted me to pass out. She's not feeling well. She's, she's back in, uh, at the apartment recovering. But it's this fighter versus coloring book. And she said, you've got to tell everybody that the first page is our bulletin insert verse. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen? amen. And also we have laminated fighter verses for your Bible. These are on the back, I think. Are they? Are these on, are yes, they? they're on the back table. They're on the back table, so please uh, pick one up if you like. And unless I forgot something, that's all the announcements I have. Good morning. Let's take our hymn books and stand together, and let's begin our singing with uh, hymn number one, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Daniel 4.37, Praise, exalt, and glorify the King of Heaven. Number one. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. 
Amen. What a privilege it is to begin this new year focusing on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you look inside your worship folder, the scripture I put in there is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It goes through this ordinance that we have of communing with Christ. Note here in the red letters, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This isn't another sacrifice, a representation, if you will, of Christ. You're not going to receive this to receive some sort of grace, as many would communicate even this day. The key is to receive in remembrance of Christ. And what a great opportunity it is to begin this new year thinking solely on Christ our Lord. There's two elements, of course, that are, that are mentioned. First is his body. The second is his blood. And both of those are to remember Christ. Now, there's a caution in here in verse 27 about taking in an unworthy manner. Uh, we're not going to regulate receiving this. We do ask you to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, certainly to be someone that is in Christ, who has repented and believed and followed him in believer's baptism. And you don't have anything that is holding you back from receiving Christ today in remembrance in Holy Communion. One of the things that can uh, disturb folks, you, by the way, you don't have to be, if I didn't say it, you don't have to be a member of this particular body of Christ. You do need to be in Christ, however, to receive and truly remember him. And notice here that uh, there's a call in verse 28 for us to examine ourselves so that we then can eat and partake. And I'm going to give you a moment now to do that privately, where you're at. Examine your own heart and uh, if you have sin to confess, confess it. If you need to receive Christ for the first time, repent and believe, you may do so even now. I'm going to give you a few moments privately to examine your own heart to receive the remembrance of Christ in a worthy manner. And then I'll pray for us corporately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a great privilege it is to gather around the table to think and remember Jesus Christ, our Lord. We had to admit we get caught up with so many things that might distract us, important things that we have to accomplish from day to day, responsibilities, various requirements. But I pray that we would not allow those to distract us from that which is greater and that is which is more worthy and that is to reflect and remember and think on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May Christ be first in our thoughts, in our life. I pray as we begin this new year anew that our focus would be 
really energized in a, in a greater way to make uh, Christ first and foremost in our thoughts. We're thankful that we can, all of us, can confess our sin and recognize that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all that is unrighteous. What an incredible gift. What a great way to, to even begin reflecting and remembering that. That there is no guilt in, for those that are in Christ Jesus. I pray all of us would lay our guilt on him and receive the grace and mercy that he has provided. I pray in this ordinance of remembrance of all that Christ has done, may it deeply impact us in a unique way. And I know that you're with us in spirit and seeing all that's going on. I know there's great joy in heaven to see repentant sinners gather around and focus on that which is first and foremost in our thoughts, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that that would empower us and energize us again to live faithfully this year. And may there be great fruit, a great fruit of blessing for abiding in you, not just this day, but in all the days ahead. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and allow you to receive both elements for communion, and I'm going to do it in my normal order here. We'll start with this side, then the middle, and then the back, and the back of you'll kind of circle around so we can make a line. If you notice here in the text, it says to wait for one another, so we'll, we'll honor that as well. I want you to get both elements and then return to your seat and wait for one another. We'll say a blessing on them and then receive them. So let's go ahead and receive communion now, beginning with this side.
ask Blake now to bless the elements of communion. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We pray, as, as Pastor prayed earlier, Lord, that we as individuals uh, this coming year would have a renewed focus on Christ, and we as a church as well. We are thankful, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ. We are thankful, Lord, that... Um, that we know you, Lord, but that more so you know us. And, uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this time of remembrance. We thank you for the sacrifice that is symbolized here, Lord, and the blood that was shed. And we pray that you would bless both the, uh, the bread and the cup uh, during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The bread representing the very life of Jesus Christ, a life lived in the fullness of perfection, that perfection by which we will stand clothed in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. Receive this in remembrance of Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that'll wash away your sin. Tis the blood of Jesus Christ. Receive this in remembrance of him. Amen. Well, let's stand again and turn in our hymn books to number 635, and we'll sing Another Year is Dawning. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Psalm 90, verse 12. 635.
654, a Christian home. Train a child in the way he should go. Proverbs 22, verse 6.
Good morning. As we begin this new year of 2023, we begin by reading the marvelous Gospel of John. This morning I'll be reading the first 34 verses of chapter 1. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, the page number for John chapter 1 is 886. That's page 886, which precedes page 887. I have two brief observations before I I read this, uh, this glorious passage from the Word of God. First, in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this clearly identifies the word in verse 1 as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but it's, it's more than that. This verse, I believe, is the cornerstone of the gospel plan. God became man. The incarnation, which we celebrated last Sunday, God taking on human flesh for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost, is what gives ultimate meaning to the price paid in the atonement and the victory in the resurrection. As J.I. Packer writes in his wonderful book, Knowing God, quote, it is here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie, the word became flesh. Second, In this same verse, verse 14, we find the phrase only son. It refers to only Jesus Christ. And in verse 18, we find that Jesus is also the only God. This word only is the same Greek word that we find in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The Greek word monogenes, translated only Son, God, is used five times in the Gospel of John. Pastor, author John MacArthur explains its meaning. It therefore has the idea of singular uniqueness, of being beloved like no other. By this word, John emphasized the exclusive relationship between the Father and the Son and the Godhead. Bible dictionary author W.E. Vine says the word is used, quoting, in the sense of unoriginated relationship. He adds, the Christ did not become, but necessarily and eternally is the Son. He, a person, possesses every attribute of pure Godhood. Only Son describes the eternal relationship of the Father and the Son within the Godhead, Jesus was born a real human baby of the Virgin Mary, but he also is from everlasting to everlasting the unique Son of God, the only begotten of the same perfect essence of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. It is he of whom we read this morning in the Gospel of John, if you will follow along, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this person, purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for this moment in time. For we come to praise the name of your only Son, our Savior, Redeemer, Great High Priest, our Elder Brother, He who sticks closer than any friend, our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. May Christ be honored in every aspect of our worship this morning through the preaching of the Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you teach us and that you show us your glory. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in our lives according to your sovereign plan. Bless the offering this morning. Bless those who give it. We thank you in all things. Amen. Amen.
Well, let's stand together and take our hymn books and turn to number 83. Be thou my vision. I have set the Lord always before me. Psalm 16, 8. Number 83. would be your vision, not this, just this day, but all that would follow. The beautiful hymn. Well, I'm going to veer off my normal exposition, which I'll begin next week, Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to read ahead. Today, I thought I would take the occasion, first Sunday of the year, to challenge you with a, a resolution for you to consider from Ephesians chapter 5. So I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. This is New Year's Day, and, and I'd say it's a privilege, really, opportunity, at least the way we think about it, to kind of start off on, an, on the right foot, certainly gathering together to worship on the first day of the new year, which is the first day of the week, is a, is a great privilege. Many people will, which you probably do too, or certainly know people who do, will start the new year off as an occasion to 
consider some goals that you might want to accomplish during the year. I looked it up to see what folks had to say about that. found an interesting article <coughs> that they took a survey and compiled research from various states um, and then ranked them according to popularity. Um, losing weight is always <laughs> a popular, popular thing in a, uh, in a wealthy society, and no, no doubt it is here. It is the top choice in eight states. I won't identify those states. 23% of Americans wanted to start living healthier, which is a good thing. I found this interesting. The number one choice that you ranked all the states together, but this one surprised me. Those first two I could get. But this one, seeking therapy. Did you know? Seeking therapy is the most popular New Year's resolution, being the top choice in 12 states. And much of this has to do, I said, what therapy are they talking about? But it has to do with cognitive behavior therapy for the most part, trying to replace negative thoughts with positive. Well, if they listen to your reading and your brief explanation of it, Gordon, that might help a whole lot, wouldn't it? And maybe even the hymn, if you focus on Christ and have him be your vision. And instead of looking inside, look to Christ. But I digress. A lot of people make resolutions. Many are not successful, but setting some sort of goal and attempting to achieve it, I think, is good. Even if you fall short, at least you might have accomplished something along the way. And many would focus, and understandably so, on these temporal issues. Not that they have no value. They do. They have good value, and <clears throat> that would be fine. Focus on that. However, in your focusing and thinking about the days ahead, your resolution, making a spiritual resolution would be even more beneficial. I'm reminded what Paul told his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. He says, while bodily training is of some value, which indeed it is, godliness is a value in every way, as it holds a promise for the present life and also the life to come. That's the point. Not that none of these other resolutions are any good. It's the emphasis is on a spiritual resolution of godliness, Godwardness being more like God. And you'll find that in our text in Ephesians chapter 5. Jonathan Edwards, as many of you know, even starting out as a young man, made all kinds of resolutions. And some of them were just about life and living and common things, but most of them dealt with spiritual aspects, which again has profit and value now and in eternity. Here's his, one of his first ones that he, he wrote, I thought this was interesting, just to give you a flavor of it, you haven't, been, haven't heard of it before. Here's young Edwards writing, Resolve 
that I will do whatever I think to be most to God's glory and to my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriad of ages hence, resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, and how many and how great soever. Ephesians chapter 5, I think, contains for us a good resolution for you to consider. And it begins simply this way. Do you see the text? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I'm going to encourage you to at least consider that resolution this year. You can have all the others, and they'll have some benefit, and I hope you achieve them. But here's one that I've been struck with, and maybe I can encourage you. For this year and the years to come, be an imitator of God as beloved children. Imitate, the word itself here, it means to copy. Copy the words and behavior of others. And notice how it's connected to children because we know this is a great way in which children learn. They imitate the behavior of others. They naturally do this from parents as well as others. It's one of the reasons you have to be careful who they hang out with (laughs) because they're good imitators. This is how they learn. In fact, we all do. The resolution is simply this, to be an imitator of God. This is a common theme in Scripture. I'll give you a few parts. Paul would would tell the church at Corinth to be an imitator of him, 1 Corinthians 4, as he is a godly man. And he'll clarify it in case you missed the point. He's not saying that he's the greatest person in the world. It's that he's following Christ. He'll say that in 1 Corinthians 11.1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Sometimes it it can be helpful for others to see you live like Christ. This is why being an imitator of God will be beneficial not only for yourself, but for others that you would have influence over, who would then imitate you. He's calling them as a positive way that they would. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he would say to the church there that you should be imitator of us and of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he would say, you brothers, you became imitators of the other churches of God. It's helpful to see how other Christians practice and worship in truth and to have connections with one another. In Hebrews chapter 6, Uh, The preacher of Hebrews calls on the church to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. That is, follow those that are in Christ. Imitate that. Here in our text, it's a call to imitate God. To do so with great vigor this year as beloved children. Now, at first glance, that's a pretty broad resolution, I'd have to agree. You say, well, imitate God. Obviously, you're not going to imitate him in all the aspects, but those that are 
as we would say, communicable to us. But it's still broad. So how are we going to, to make this more practical so that we can carry it around with us? And, and I'm not suggesting that I'm going to explain this in a comprehensive way, but I'm going to put it in a concise way that you can carry along with you. And if I, you lose your place in what I'm saying, which is easy to do because I have a tendency to ramble, on the back of your worship folder, at least I intended to, I wrote three ideas. Three ideas that are from this text. So this isn't the only way in which you would imitate God, if you would, but th- this is those that are found in our text. And it might help you guide you as you go along and read in the future. But three ideas is a good way to communicate and for us to remember things. You get four or five or six after a while, it's kind of hard to remember. Three is, is almost like the magic number of remembering, and you'll notice most of my sermons have three points. I don't always get to them. Verse 2 in our text, and I'll highlight this before we read it, is simply to walk in love. Verse 8, walk in light. And verse 15, unfortunately, they didn't alliterate this, and I couldn't think of anything without twisting it too far, so we'll leave it there. Walk in wisdom. This is how you can imitate God. This is how you could make good on that kind of spiritual resolution, which I assure you will benefit you greatly now. And believe it or not, it will also in eternity. You say, well, how is that going to help me in eternity? Well, I'm not going to unpack all of that. I'll just say this, that it, it gives you, it will give, as you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, it will give you an increased capacity of joy before God. That seems to be what Scripture indicates in the benefit of becoming godly, Godward, Christ-like. So there's the three, walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. And before we move forward in our reading, just want to make sure you know the obvious here, that, that walk, as it's mentioned, is, is a way of describing or an idiom of lifestyle. In other words, this, the walk would be how you live, your lifestyle. And by the way, those that are successful in resolutions, whether it's dieting, exercise, or, you know, study, or whatever they're trying to accomplish, it doesn't become a temporary thing, a fad, something for a brief period of time. Those are the ones that fail. The ones that actually succeed, this is characteristic of their life. Everything changes about them. This is how they live, or in the words used here, this is how you walk. So let's look for that as I read through the text, and I'll go down to verse 21. Ephesians 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. (coughs) But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of this, things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in the darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Number three, look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, let not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you give us insight into your word. May we indeed be encouraged <coughs> to live and to love godliness. And we truly walk in love, light, and wisdom this day and be encouraged by your word. May we hear, indeed, the very words of Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. One more caveat I need to begin before we push forward into this resolution of being an imitator of God, and I encourage you to do, by walking in love, light, and wisdom. Note this is for the believer, for the regenerate, for those that are in Christ. This is not for unbelievers. Notice here in the text, in verse 1, it says, it talks about who is being addressed, the beloved children. Now, if you're in Ephesians, I'm going to show you a couple spots real quick. Notice here in, in verse 1, though, it begins with a therefore. And it references the immediate previous context and all the way back to the beginning. Let's look at both of them. Chapter 4, first, and verse 17. You must no longer walk as Gentiles do. The Gentiles would be unbelievers. So it's being addressed, therefore, as beloved children. This is opposite to the, those that are described as Gentiles. How do they go along? They're in the futility of their minds. What's their condition? They're darkened, verse 18, in their understanding. They're not illuminated. They don't have the light of Christ, see? They're, they're alienated then from the life of God because of the ignorance in them, and it is due to the hardness of their heart. Their heart has not been changed. 
It has not been regenerated. They, they don't see, if you will. Ignorance, then, and unbelief is bound up in them. They become callous, then, and, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. This practice here, again, it parallels with walk. That is, that's their lifestyle. That's who they are. That's who unbelievers are. But that is not who is being addressed here to be an imitator of God. He's talking to the beloved children. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Those who then are regenerate and can now see the glory of Christ, as we read earlier, the beauty full of grace and truth, that's how it comes about. Then all of a sudden, Christ is totally different to that person. That's not the way we learn Christ. We're not futile in our minds, darkened, hard heart, just the opposite. And therefore described as beloved children. How do we become children then? Go all the way back to the very beginning. I said this, therefore, in verse chapter 5, refers to all that is before, and it begins with the doctrinal declaration in a summation, beautiful passage from chapter 1. And I'll try to push through this and not preach this whole chapter once again, which certainly is worthy of doing. But it, it talks about those then who are the beloved children and why they are. And he begins in verse 3 in chapter 1 that God would be blessed. Blessed, praise to God is going on here the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why the praise? Because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You know, that would help a lot with the number one problem here of seeking therapy, but I digress. And can you imagine this? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, that's what God has blessed us with. Our response should be a continual hallelujah. Well, what did he do then? How did this blessing come about? Verse 4, from the very beginning, he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, scratch your head. Understand this. This is God's work. If you're in Christ, if Christ is beautiful to you, if, if you don't have the futile mind of a Gentile, if you will, if you don't have a hardened heart, it isn't because you're, you're better at not hardening your heart. It isn't because you're a better thinker and therefore you're not ignorant. It is because of his grace and his determination from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world. And what did he promise? That we would be holy, blameless, and before him in love. That is the condition. You understand why he says beloved children now? Beloved by whom? God. This is what we do in remembrance of Christ. Because it is Jesus Christ who is the beloved, as you'll see in the text here. But I get ahead of myself. God has determined this ahead of time, verse 5, for the adoption to himself as sons. That's how you become a child a beloved child, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace, with he blessed us in the, and it is capitalized in my text, beloved, because that's right. Who is beloved? It is Jesus. It is this one that Gordon read, the only 
Son, the only God. This is the beloved one who John the Baptist says, this one came before me. Not chronologically, but eternally. He is God of gods, and he is the beloved. And so therefore, if you are in Christ, you are beloved by the Father as Christ is beloved. And so it is in him. It is in him that we have redemption through his blood. Because our sins would need to be atoned for, and Christ died. The forgiveness of our trespasses, and how do we get it? According to the riches of his grace. That is, he gave it to you. Do you want to shout in praise? I think so. He lavished this upon us in all wisdom and insight, and beyond that, he could have just done this, but he, he makes this mystery known, this mystery of his will, because we have it recorded in the text. And for this purpose, which he set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, heaven, things on earth. In him, then, that is in Christ, we have an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Why are you here? Why do you love Christ? It's because he's working all things to the counsel of his will. Your response should be great praise. So that we were the first to hope in Christ should be then to the praise of the glory. I'm not suggesting that you don't have something involved in all of this. You know what your involvement is? When the heart is regenerated, it responds in hope, hope in God, repentance in God. That's how you would know. There's all of a sudden some different disposition of heart that is different than those that are unbelievers. So that we were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, and here's where it happens in time. So we look back in eternity from the very beginning. Chosen is all God's plan. is to the glory of his grace. It is Christ's death on the cross for your sin so that in time, here's what happens. And this is from our perspective and experience. And I understand why people don't understand this enough and give God the glory for what he has done because it is difficult to understand. And from their perspective, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believe in him. Listen, there will come a time in which you are then aware that you are an unbeliever, an unregenerate person. It's mediated through the proclamation of his word and your response is belief, and you must have it, and it must be personal. This isn't just all of a sudden uh, you, you, you're, you're part of a, some group, and then therefore you're in the kingdom. Not at all. There has to be a change of heart. That's what he's emphasizing. You believe. That is your part. Why do you believe? That's what you must do. Everyone must confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Everyone must repent. Everyone must have these affections personally. And it occurs in time. That's what you must do. The first part told us why. It was all because of God's grace. And so we praise him. And beyond that, here's, I'll finish with this on this section, sorry but I just have to. We're sealed with the promise of the Spirit, who then is their guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it to the praise of his glory. No one will lose their salvation 
because they weren't part of finding it to begin with. <laughs> if you were, you would have lost it. But it's God's all the way through. Your part is when you are awakened, you respond in faith. And if you haven't responded in repentance and faith, you can do it now. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Put your faith and trust in him alone. And then take this resolution, be an imitator of him. Because you'll have a heart now that wants to. We don't have to force people. This is not a law, a legalistic law. This is love. This is from the heart. In fact, that's how it begins. Calls us as Christians in verse 1, I'm back in chapter 5, as beloved children, those that are in Christ, it's simple. You want to imitate God? Walk in love. So that's the first rock you put in your pocket. And it may not be convicting to you, but it is to me. <laughs> because he's not talking here about just some sort of emotional response. I mean, that might occur to some degree. I'm not going to minimize that. But it's really talking more about, when, it's, when we talk of love here, it's mostly about actions and attitude. One of my favorite descriptive passages comes from 1 Corinthians 13, which I read and have read quite often. It's worthy again. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Not irritable or resentful. It's convicting, isn't it? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It endures all things. In fact, love never ends. Your your, um, emotional state might wax and wane, but this steadfast love of the Lord remains. And, and why is it still there? Because you're just better at being a kind, patient, and loving, and humble person? No. Fail on that all the time. I'm thankful that they, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, but why is this love still in the heart then of the believer that has a desire to be patient and kind, that has a desire to not be rude, has a desire to not be irritable or resentful, and would want to have that be a greater expression of their life that they might imitate God. Because it is, again, you're appealing to what God's supernatural work in the heart of the believer. You can note, for time, I'll just reference it, Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, Paul talks about justification by faith. Through that declaration that God has given us, we then have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in him. But it changes the disposition of our heart, as he says, about our hope that we have in Christ, that it, it produces a character, and that character of 
Godliness in our life produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame, Romans 5, 5. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. So when he says to walk in love, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, that kind of love is really hard to do, but something that is generated by the work of the Holy Spirit that is indwelling every believer. It is that love of God poured out. I love the the imagery of that. Poured out into our hearts. That is the resource in which you're going to tap into if you want to imitate God. If you want to truly walk in love. It is this controlling love, if you will. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it compels us. It controls us. The love of Christ. It compels us to act in ways that are appropriate to the circumstances that we might find ourselves in. It also constrains us from acting in ways that are inappropriate. It is the love of Christ. Jesus told his disciples to walk in love. And our text talks about that as... Christ loved us, verse 2 in Ephesians 5, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up. Jesus would tell his disciples in John chapter 13 that he get, he's going to give them a new commandment, John 13, 34. What's his new commandment? That you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. And by the way, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. You're a follower of Christ because you will be walking as a Christian, you'll be walking in love. That new commandment, by the way, is, is an old commandment. You'll find it in Leviticus 19. It says to love one another. What, what's new about Christ's commandment? He says, as I have demonstrated, as I have loved you, from the heart of God's love poured out in your heart, from that is what constrains you to to, to live a Godward life loving like Christ would. What are some of the things you can think of? A servant, someone that's submissive, sacrificial, compassionate, merciful, gracious, kind, patient. Someone, by the way, with great courage and conviction, too. Someone who stands for the truth and righteousness. Gospels are full of the beauty of Christ, the beauty of his love for us in particular, and we're called to emulate that, not through the flesh, but through the power of the Spirit, from the regenerate heart to respond in in love. You want to be Godward? You want to imitate God, if you will? Walk in in love. To walk in love means to to sacrifice, and notice our text in verse 2, it alludes to that. Perhaps we're not as familiar with that terminology as it's mentioned there. Christ loved us, gave himself up for us. We get that. That's the atonement. It's the death on the cross. But do you see this phrase in verse 2 of Ephesians 5? It, it adds a fragrant, as a descriptive of what that is, what that love smells like. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, that's probably not a big part of our how we worship our culture. There are some places in which they burn incense and have certain smells. But in the Old Testament, they did. 
And this was to demonstrate something pleasing. Have you ever walked into um, a kitchen when good things are being cooked? (laughs) It's a pleasing smell. It's a soothing aroma. And maybe you want some of that. In the Old Testament, there were five sacrifices, the burnt grain, peace, sin, and trespass. The sin and the trespass were thought of to be um, not soothing because they dealt specifically with sin. And um, that was not smoothing, sm- soothing smell. That was wretched, if you will. The other three, the burnt, the grain, and the peace offering, those were soothing if you will, soothing aroma to the Lord. And God uh, describes it that way. If you're reading through the Bible this year, you'll come across it in Leviticus. I'll just highlight it for you quickly so that I can move forward. But nevertheless, the burnt offering, the first one, the sacrifice, and this is what this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God is imaging here, that we would do the same. This burnt offering is said to be a food offering with a pleasing aroma to God. You can find it in Leviticus chapter 1. It's a a sweet aroma, pleasing because of the repentant heart of the person that offers the sacrifice. It's a, a sacrifice that was in recognition of a need for forgiveness. It signifies, ultimately, the disposition of somebody's heart. This sacrifice, burnt offering, then, is a sacrifice of obedience. It is a fruit of love. The second one was the grain offering that was pleasing. You can find that in Leviticus chapter 2. And, in fact, it's offered with frankincense. You've heard that before. It's, it's a, it's a it, aroma is, is the point. The priest would burn it with food and this frankincense to bring about a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This was a grain or meal offering. It was one in which expressed the bounty of God's blessing to the people in providing for them food, which they would share with one another in joy and love. It was a voluntary offering signifying thanksgiving and joy. It is the life of a Christian in love that would also express this in a fragrant way in their life. In other words, what would they smell like? Joy, generosity, and giving out of the abundance of what God has provided for us. In other words, sharing. That's the love that's indicated there. The third one is the peace offering. You'll find that in Leviticus 3. The peace offering, the food offering, is burnt with a pleasing aroma. It's another voluntary offering that was done to designate fellowship and unity. Fellowship and unity first with God, but because of that union and that reconciliation, then then fellowship and unity is then made possible with one another. It is the imagery of living at peace and in unity with one another. Walk in love. That alone would probably be a good enough resolution. But as we move forward to think about our imitating God, I want to bring up the second one, and that is walk in light. That's found in verse 8. 
But, it, but this text actually begins with the negative in verse 3, as, as it's um, categorized here. You remember, Jesus comes as, as light into the world, that light then, which is the light of life, John 1. But it, it becomes a judgment to those that love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so here, the evil deeds are are mentioned, verse 3 of Ephesians 5. Sexual immorality and impurity is listed. This this includes the whole range of sexual sins, anything from pornography to fornication, that is, anything outside of marriage. By the way, the only marriage recognized is the one that God has established. And I didn't think I'd have to ever say this, but it's between, God and man, it's between man and woman. That's what God has established. Anything outside of that is immoral. That's what God's Word says. So if you want to be imitators of God, this cannot be characteristic of your lifestyle. That's the point. And you get the implications, particularly in our world, And you wonder why, if they don't hate us, they will. (laughs) They hated Christ. They don't want to hear it. They'd rather be defiled and live in darkness. And when you shine truth, they will run from it and throw stones on you. Continues on and says, not only that, but also covetousness. It shouldn't even be named among you. This covetousness, by the way, has a connection with immorality because you're, you're wanting something that isn't, um, isn't uh, given by God, but you must have it, and he will give it to you, and it will destroy you. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place. That's worthy of pondering on. It's hard. It's talking about even innuendo and that kind of thing, this foolish talk, filthy talk. It has no place on the tongue of Christ, who we are to emulate, is it? Instead, what should be there is thanksgiving. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, they, they ultimately put themselves first. That person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So it would be helpful, actually, if you're going to help somebody, tell them the truth. They don't want to hear it. They don't want help. But if they don't, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's the most loving thing you can do, is to walk in light. And it means to speak and say the truth. And don't let anybody deceive you with empty words because there's a lot of empty words out there that are going to be contrary to this. Empty words? Oh, well, you know, that's the way it was back then, but this is different today. I'm sorry, it's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. His word doesn't change. It can't change. Otherwise, he would change, and God can't. It it doesn't change because he doesn't lie. So don't listen to empty words, because 
The danger of that is the th- verse 6, it says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Contrast the sons of disobedience with the beloved children. Do you get it? She's talking about two groups. That's the only two groups, by the way, that actually matter. We're all worried about all kinds of distinctive groups based on all kinds of non-essential issues that don't matter. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what, what your personal desires about a lot of stuff or what your ideas ultimately are about. Here's what matters. There's two things. Those that are children of disobedience, that is, children of the devil, and those who are of God. And the obedience isn't because they're better, is that God has worked in their heart to give them a desire to want to follow God. And if you don't have this desire to, for, for example, it, this isn't all there is, but there's an example right before us. If you don't have the desire to get filthy and foolish talk out of your mouth, you ought to examine your heart to see if you're really a child of God. I don't want anyone to face the wrath of God. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Oh, yes, I can. It's Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what it is. Imagine the most painful and awful thing. And the worst of it isn't just the pain that you have to endure. It is the forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, what a state of utter darkness. So the call then in verse 7 is don't even become partners with them. You have to have a distinctiveness about Christianity because it is distinct. You have to be careful not to allow the filth to cling to you. This is talking about separation from the world Certainly not isolation. Jesus would describe it this way as he cares for his own. They have to be in the world. You you have to go about your daily life. We're not asking you to go to a monastery or some hill to be isolated. No, it's not isolation, but insulation. (laughs) Insulated through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. To have a distinctive difference. And the, the primary difference is a desire of the heart, by the way. But it will be manifested in your life as you grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. As by, through the strength of the Holy Spirit, you continue to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You, you may be so disappointed that you, you haven't become more Christ-like in your life. But you take time and look back and say, well... I'm nowhere near where I needed to be, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm nowhere near where I was. Because at that time, when you were partners with them, verse 8, you were once in darkness. That's where we're all coming from. So we understand it. We're better than anyone else in and of our own self but through his grace that we are described. You see in the text, you are now light in the Lord. So that's his emphasis of why now you want to walk in light. And he gave the examples of what walking in darkness would be. So if you want to be an imitator of God, then walk, the encouragement is then to walk in this light. 
The positive side, then he goes and begins in verse 9. For the fruit of light is found, what? In all that is good, right, and true. Here's a way to measure your thoughts. Here's a way to measure what you're taking in. Is it good? Is it right? Is it true? That's light. And the admonition is to walk in that light. this, this This is what it looks like. And then in the midst of that, verse 10, to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I know it's difficult at times. Pray and ask for wisdom. Lord, should I do this or that or go here or go there? Participate in this? I've I've got to be in the world, but I don't want to be of the world. So you'll need wisdom to do so. And certainly in the end, verse 11, not to take part in unfruitful works of darkness because it's not going to produce that which is good, right, and true. So you don't want to be a part of it. But instead, the opposite side, not that you're going to be mean and hateful, but expose them. One of the ways you can expose them is just not doing it. I'm sorry, I can't participate in that because I'm holier than thou. No, (laughs) it's because I love Christ. It's because I love the light. You do this with pre- food preferences. I don't, I don't want this because it doesn't taste good to me, right? I'm not going to eat it. You're not eating it because you're better than somebody else? No, because you, you have a different desire. That's what it's getting at. The child of God has a different desire. They desire light instead of darkness. In fact, you, it is helpful to expose them in how you don't participate in certain things, And given proper opportunities, speaking the truth in love, expose them. Because it's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. And we'll just leave it right there. It's awful. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. And then he quotes Isaiah 60, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the gospel. You, you recognize this, you say, well, the, all these things are really characteristic of my life, and this is really where I want to go. Here's the call then. Do, do you recognize this? Awake, come to Christ. Come to him. Christ will shine on you. He will grant that light. So walk in love to imitate God. Walk in light. And thirdly, walk in wisdom. That's verse 15. Look carefully how you then walk or live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Again, don't live like an unbeliever, but live like a believer. That's the point. Some of your translations would deal this. Look carefully as circumspectly, you get the idea, looking around to be alert, what's going on. If you're out hiking and going through some trails, a lot of slippery rocks, loose impediments, pay attention because there's a danger of serious injury, particularly if you're walking along someplace where a a drop-off is there. And likewise, in the spiritual Realm, we are called to imitate God by being careful how we live. We need wisdom to walk then in a darkened world. And where will you get that light? Where will you get that roadmap? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. 
Don't be foolish. Be wise. The fool is somebody in Scripture is, is characterized by unbelief. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with moral rebellion against God. They know the truth, yet they rebel against it. They push back against the truth, like pushing back against a giant spring that will one day crush them. A wise man, on contrast, is one who hears and heeds God's word. And so they recall then in this walking in wisdom, here's what it looks like, verse 16. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Some translations use the word redeeming the time. The point is to make every minute count. Because you're living in an evil day. You, you struggle with your own flesh. And so it's a call then, don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Now, this is not a suggestion that you cannot rest or relax, take some time off, do something entertaining. Uh, certainly you do. In the Old Testament code, they, they included days of rest each week. They included days of rest for so many years and, that, and so forth. Um, God knows our frame. And uh, you, you, it's not asking you to be... Um, a, a, a workaholic, if you will. But instead, to have this overall reco- recognition that we all have a limited time here on earth. James would say, what's your life? It's like a vapor. It's here for a little while, and, and it's gone the next thing you know. It, it's a call then to recognize that God has a purpose for your life during your stay here. And in comparison to eternity, really, it isn't all that long. So the, the warning here is don't waste all of your time on those things that don't have eternal value. That's all. To, to walk in wisdom means, you know, make, make some better choices. Don't, and I don't know what they would be. You can apply it yourself. But just don't waste Time. Sometimes you're ill and sick, and sometimes you're just wore out. And you need rest. That's all of that is, is helpful. It's going to put you in a better state. But, but think about God's purpose for you in your life and how you can serve the, within the body of Christ and have the light of his glory reflected out through the community of Christ in a greater way. I'll finish with this. Notice here. It says, then don't be foolish, but instead understand what the will of the Lord is. Those that are in Christ, we we have this will made known to us, certainly through his word. But notice how it is connected with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he talks about one of these foolish things, don't get drunk. Verse 18, that is debauchery, that is foolishness. Don't allow... Strong drink to control your life. Don't be controlled by it. Contrast that with be controlled with the Holy Spirit. And, and what are some of the expressions of it? Well, 
you're going to, it says, address in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody where? In your heart. Yeah, it does talk within a community of faith to, be, to where you have a worshipful individually and corporately. But beyond that, it isn't just external expressions of joy, but there's something deep within your heart. That's what it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And, and notice in um, giving thanks always for everything. So, so you li- live a life that is expressing thanks, thankfulness to God our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because that's the only way that that is going to come about. And, and it finishes on this then to submit to one another, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. You submit in ways that are appropriate to your various relationships. He's going to expand on that in the remainder of the chapter and into, verse, into chapter 6. But, it, but it's a dis, different disposition of heart in, in, in walking in wisdom, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. The book of Colossians parallels this same concept. Colossae wasn't too far away from Ephesus, and Paul wrote them a letter I read from it last week, but from Colossians 3.16, parallel to this uh, 5.18 here in Ephesians, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. See the word wisdom? Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Just another way to express the same thing. To be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Christ's word. What's the result? Joy, thanksgiving, and unity among believers. So this is our call then. I'm going to encourage you to consider this as a resolution for 2023. Imitate God. Do so as beloved children. Do so in the way you live a life of love, walking in the light and walking in wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you will take your word and seal it to our hearts. Cause us to be more like Christ, not just this day, and not just this year, but until you return when we will see you face to face. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, take a moment now to think on these things. Respond to God, the way he has spoken to you, take a moment now privately where you're at. Father, I pray that you would indeed grant us the love of Christ, the light of Christ, and the wisdom of Christ. I pray by your grace that we might truly be imitators of God as beloved children. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Let's all stand and turn to 517 in our hymnals, day by day. Psalm 68, 19, day by day he bears our burdens. And now may our great and eternal Father bless you. May he strengthen your inner being with power through his spirit. May Christ dwell in your heart through faith. May you be rooted and grounded in love. May you have the strength to comprehend all the saints and what is with what is the breadth and the height and the depth and the knowledge of the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. May you be filled with all the fullness of God according to the riches of his grace. And may you exalt his glorious name forever and ever. Father, we pray that you would bless us now as we go to the fellowship hall. Bless our time of fellowship and bless the food that's been provided to our bodies and strengthen us with it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.